0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to make our way through our series, The Full Armor. Today, we're going to be discussing the importance of the breastplate of righteousness, But before we go there, and just in case you didn't catch our video update, which we posted earlier this week, I wanted to quickly mention that the plan for our church at this time is is to continue running online services, at least until the government rolls out phase two of their plan to reopen. Um, Of course, this isn't preferable. Like many of you, we'd rather be meeting in person. Obviously, the, the, this current separation from community we're experiencing right now was forced upon us due to this pandemic, and so we're eager to get back to doing church the way it should be with all of us together. And, and as soon as we can do it, we will. But until then, I'm, I'm, I, I'm constantly filled with the same sort of longing that the Apostle Paul felt when, when he wrote in First Thessalonians 2, 17-20. He says, But as for us, brothers and sisters... After we were forced to leave you for a short time in person, not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. And so we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And so in the same way we long to see each of you face to face, this is our glory and joy to see the church standing and praising our Lord and Savior together in unity. But in the meantime, we can still rejoice at least in the knowledge that, as it says, we're only separated in person, not in heart. And while we can't say whether or not it's actually Satan who's specifically hindering us from meeting together, like Paul writes, but, but we can at least say for sure that the effects of all this is definitely caused in part by his lies. That, that because of his evil influence, because of his deceitful words in, in the garden which led to the first sin and the fall of man, because of that, this is why we now live in a broken and fallen world. A world inundated with sickness, anxiety, anxiety racism, inequality, hate, division, greed, poverty, pride, war, immorality, and death, the list goes on. Whether it's an illness like COVID-19 or whether it's another senseless murder of a, of a person just because of the color of their skin, we know that all is not right. And we simply cannot deny the presence of darkness and the effects of evil, which are constantly, constantly at work trying to corrupt humanity and corrupt all of the things of this world which God had originally created to be good. And this, in a nutshell, is what evil is and what evil does. Apologist Ronald Rhodes writes, Evil is not something that has an existence all on its own. Rather, it is a corruption of that which already exists. Evil is the absence or privation of something good. Rot, for example, can exist only as long as the tree exists. Tooth decay can exist only as long as the tooth exists. Evil exists as a corruption of something good. It is a privation and does not have essence by itself. And this, as we've been learning uh, during our series on the full armor of God so far, this is the goal of our true spiritual enemy, to corrupt and pervert and even attempt to destroy that which is good, that which reflects the holiness and glory of God. Jesus Christ, on the other hand, set aside his glory to come into this broken world to not only redeem us from our sin by taking the weight of our punishment at the cross, but ultimately he died and rose again to crush evil and make everything right. Colossians 1, 19 to 20 says this about Jesus. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And then as Revelation 24, verse four prophesies at Jesus' second coming, that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So, in the present day, in our society and in our culture right now, we have systems and programs set in place to try to curb the tangible effects of evil in this world. Things like hospitals, law enforcement, therapy, our government, soup kitchens, homeless shelters, and our justice system, just to name a few. And, and so we can and should be thankful for these, these systems and the people that work in these jobs with integrity, you know, especially during this time of pandemic, right? For, for frontline or healthcare workers like, like doctors, EMTs, and, and nurses, to our police force and our, our justice system, to firefighters, to soup kitchen volunteers, to the, to the government, to environmentalists, right? And, and many others who, for the most part, are seeking to, to save lives and are daily fighting the battle against things like disease, destruction, poverty, pollution, crime, and hate. Ultimately, though, we know that that all those systems aren't always successful, or perfect, and that they can never get rid of evil or death altogether. Sometimes they can even become corrupted themselves. So at best, they only contain or treat the tangible symptoms of evil in this world. But that's another reason why we as Christians place our faith and joy in the hope of the glory of God. In Christ's victory at the cross over sin and death and over evil. And in the promise that Jesus will one day come again in the power of that victory to make all things in heaven and earth new. Including and especially our own hearts. Ultimately, that he'll make all things right in the presence and eyes of God once again. Or as the infamous duo Bill and Ted might say, he'll make all things most righteous. I had to go there. But it's true. Even 2 Peter 3.13 agrees when it says, But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And it's the same righteousness through Christ that our passage this morning is calling us to put on and wear as a breastplate in order to stand firm against the spiritual forces of evil and darkness. And a breastplate, of course, is is the part of the armor which a soldier would wear over his torso. The primary purpose of it would be to protect all the soldier's vital organs, including the lungs and, and the heart from the blows and arrows of their enemy, right? But before we go any further talking about that, let's talk about what the Bible often means when when it says righteousness. The simplest definition for righteousness I've heard is, is to have a right standing and right relationship with God. And this right standing with God isn't something we can earn or even something we need to pay for. Rather, it's a free gift given to us through Christ. Because of what he's done for us. Romans 3.10 says that no one is righteous, not one. In other words, no one can stand guiltless at the foot of a holy God. Which is why Jesus came to rescue us. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his stripes, you are healed. So through Jesus' perfect work at the cross, by his cleansing blood shed for us, we're not only forgiven of our sins, but we're also made right. That is, we're covered and clothed in his perfect Righteousness which means we can now come before God. We can approach God as one who is justified and vindicated and made new, accepted and viewed by God as one without blemish or condemnation. In fact, after Jesus was baptized and filled with the, with the Spirit, a voice came from heaven and proclaimed to all that were standing in the vicinity. And it, and it said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased And I bring that up because this is the very same thing God the Father proclaims over each of us when we repent and and believe in the name of Jesus by faith. He proclaims over us, over you, this is my child in whom I am well pleased. Again, not for what we've done, but all because of what Jesus did for us. Because of his love and sacrifice for us. And that's what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's to put on Christ and therefore to stand firm in the knowledge and confidence that God sees us, not for our sin or our misdeeds or our mistakes or our imperfections, but just as he sees Christ. It's a position of unmerited favor and holiness which we now stand And in case you're not following, this is an extraordinary act of grace. That that Jesus would step into our brokenness in order to exchange our sinfulness, our unrighteousness with his righteousness. That he would make a way for us like this so we could know and dwell and live in the presence of God and in the power of his spirit. Let's never forget to thank him for this. That because of Jesus, we can now, as it says in Ephesians 4.24, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So on that note, note though, why then is it important that we wear it like a piece of armor? Why is it important in in the context of spiritual warfare that, that we put on this breastplate of righteousness? And to that question, I have four answers. And we're going to jump right into them. The first one is so that we can deflect the accusations of the devil. Here's one of Satan's favorite tools, to accuse. The Bible calls Satan the accuser of the believers. He wants us to believe that in the sight of God, we're still spiritually ugly, that we're still guilty, that that we're not good enough, that God is not pleased with us. He wants us to mope and even collapse under the weight of our shame and our weakness and our condemnation. On that note, I've also heard people talk about their negative experience growing up in Christian churches or, or Christian homes, often saying that they constantly felt guilty and dirty, especially whenever they made a mistake or when they sinned. Or like they always felt God was still mad at them for, for some past sin that they forgot to repent of, or maybe they had this perpetual fear of, of God's judgment because they were taught or had this impression that they were never good enough for, for God, or that they hadn't said sorry enough, or or that if Jesus returned to earth during that one moment they messed up or gave into temptation, then they'd be dead meat. But this isn't the gospel. Tiptoeing around an angry and unforgiving God isn't good news. That's all Satan's accusations and lies. Jesus came not to condemn, but to rescue sinners. But Satan wants us to live as if we're still condemned and worthless to God. As I said earlier, the the breastplate protects our our lungs and our heart. And, And this is good because Satan wants to take the breath of God out of our lungs and pierce our heart with guilt and shame. He wants to keep our hearts hardened against God. But Jesus came to give us a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And so if we stand accepted before God in the righteousness of Christ, we can protect this new heart. We'll be able to deflect these accusations of unworthiness and ugliness from the enemy and even the accusations from our own consciousness as as if they were nothing at all. Instead, our identity can remain solely and securely in the truth that we're now and forevermore justified and precious in God's sight. But this leads us to the second reason we need to wear the breastplate of righteousness. And it's to resist the temptation of becoming self-righteous. So during Jesus' ministry, he had a lot of run-ins with the Pharisees, a majority of which Jesus rebuked for being self-righteous. And self-righteousness is the idea that we can become righteous on our own. That if we do enough good works or follow God's law to a T, that this would be enough to, to save us, to get us into God's good books or to merit his favor. But quite often... We see that the result of their self-righteousness was firstly to ignore or even be offended by the message of salvation, which Jesus proclaimed to them because it said that they couldn't save themselves. And secondly, their self-righteous egos caused them to look down on those who they deemed as less righteous than them. So as we learned earlier, we know that no one can become like God. No one is righteous, not one. We, we can't work off the wages of our sin. And this is why God became flesh to make us, make us righteous, because neither good works nor the law can save us. Galatians 2, 16 says it like this, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ. And not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But the truth is that just like the Pharisees, we humans in, in our pride have a propensity to think that we can earn our own salvation. That we can and, and, and even need to work harder or be better or, or be more religious or do more good things so that God will like us. We, we too often forget or, or doubt that Jesus is enough. And so we try to add on to his work or even replace him with our own feeble attempts at righteousness. And of course the devil enjoys this. He wants to use this forgetfulness, this pride, this selfish need to do it ourselves as tools to ensnare us to a slavery of religious works in order to keep us away from the simple and glorious truth that righteousness is free. This is why we need to put on the breastplate and keep it on, because if we're already wearing the righteousness of Christ, we won't give in to this prideful snare of of thinking we can or that we need to work for that which we've already been given. For example, if it's raining outside and I'm already wearing a rain jacket, and then along comes a jacket salesman who says to me, hey, I'll sell you that rain jacket you're wearing so that you won't get wet. That makes no sense, right? Right? I'd be foolish to give that salesman any money to pay for the jacket I already own and I'm already wearing, a jacket that's already keeping me dry in the rain. And and in the same way, the righteousness of Christ has already been given to us. It's ours. It's a free gift. Despite what the devil and, and our pride wants us to think, we did nothing to earn it and neither do we need to pay it off or pay for it over and over again with good works or through the law. Through Christ, we're already wearing it. And as a side note here, if if we know that righteousness is not from ourselves, but solely from Christ, we'll be less likely to do the devil's work in looking down at others with smug condemnation and self righteous judgment. There'll be no way that we'd have any right to become full of ourselves or, or think of ourselves as better than anyone else, because we boast in Christ alone. In fact, we'll be more likely to walk in humility and to treat and uphold other people, especially those in sin, with the same grace and love. That Jesus has freely poured out upon us. And this brings us to the third reason we need to wear the armor, and that's to pursue and uphold righteousness in our own lives. So by, by this point, Satan's like, fine, sure, okay, so Jesus makes you righteous and you do nothing to earn it, whatever, how nice for you. But wait, if that's the case, if, if, if it's all Jesus and it doesn't matter what you do, then why shouldn't you be able to do whatever you want? Again, this is how Satan deceives us. He, he takes what's good and, and, he, and he corrupts it just a little bit, right? This is the definition of evil, as we've talked about earlier. And, and unfortunately, more often than not, we believe him. We think, yeah, well, what's, what's the harm? But, but if you really think about it, if we really thought about it, how can we both be made righteous and yet keep on living as though we're still unrighteous and slaves to sin? Quite simply, we can't. First John 3, 7 to 10 says it like this Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he, Jesus, is righteous. But whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So part of the reason Christ covers us in his righteousness is so that we can then walk in it, so that we can be free to live in righteousness. Through the power of his his Holy Spirit within us, Jesus also wants to sanctify us and purify us to become like him in righteousness. He wants us to grow in it. Of course, we still do sin sometimes, and there's always grace for it. But the point is that in Christ, we should no longer desire to make a practice of sinning. We should desire to live and grow in the new life we've been given. Which is why the Bible calls us to practice righteousness, to pursue righteousness, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, to put away the old self and put on the new self, to be imitators of Christ, to walk in the light because we're no longer because we no longer belong to the darkness in fact in ancient times quite often the breastplate of a soldier would bear the insignia or or logo or logo or at least be the color of the nation or king it represented in other words as soon as that they put on the breastplate they then represented and act in a and acted in accordance with their king and country in the same way, as soon as we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we represent righteousness. We represent Christ and his, and his kingdom and should therefore desire to act accordingly. As Gigi Finlay puts it, The completeness of pardon for past offense and the integrity of character that belong to the justified life are woven together into an impenetrable mail. And besides, there's, there's nothing Satan hates more than, than seeing people set free from the slavery of sin and then also walking in the freedom and example of Christ. And on that end, even as we wait for Jesus to come in victory and make all things new, to make all things right in the world, I strongly believe that we're called as ambassadors of righteousness to be remnants and proponents of what that'll look like. For example, we should stand against the effects of evil and, and seek to right wrongs in, the, in this world. We should live with integrity and godly morality. We should, we should pursue justice and equality. We should strive to take care of God's creation and the environment. We should seek to fight against disease and, and comfort those who are in pain. We should seek to love others as ourselves. We should strive to lift up the marginalized and the poor. We should seek to build unity and love within the church. And above all and in all these things, we should seek to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, the only one who can truly and eternally make all things right in the sight of God. And this brings us to the final point this morning as to why we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And it's so that we can stand firm in the presence of God. We've heard it said that that if God is for us, then who can be against us? If God is for us, then who can be against us? And the breastplate of righteousness proclaims to our enemy without question that God is certainly for us. It proclaims and boasts to an enemy which cowers at the name of Jesus Christ that Christ is the one who fights for us and already won the victory over sin and death on our behalf. And on that end, this breastplate of righteousness also reminds us that we have complete and full access into the presence of God. Ephesians 3.12 says, Christ now gives us courage and confidence so we can come to God by faith. In other words, we don't have to, to, to grovel or, or beg at the feet of God to strengthen us or to come through for us when we're being spiritually attacked or feeling anxious or afraid or, or whatever, but that like a child to a father, we can come to him boldly and confidently at any time and ask him for whatever we need in Jesus' name. 1 John 5.14 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And James 5.16 says the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. So as we put on this breastplate of righteousness, it should change the way we pray, especially when it comes to spiritual warfare, not with wimpy prayers of uncertainty, but spirit-filled prayers of power and with the confidence of one who knows that God is for them. And in the same way, it should change the way we face and stand against the attacks of the enemy and even how we deal with with the brokenness and the effects of evil in this fallen world. Not with fear or without power or without hope, but with the boldness and power of one who knows that even in our weakness, and especially in our weakness, we are made strong. We will yet overcome by the blood of the Lamb. We can face this broken world with the hope that all things, including our own hearts, will one day be made right. So let's put on this breastplate of righteousness, this free gift of grace given to us through Jesus Christ. And as we stand accepted and precious in the eyes of God, clothed and secured in the status of Christ's victory and glory, let us then go forth and also walk and live in that righteousness.